it's all one and good coming out with a plan. And South Africa is rife with good plans. The problem is implementation. And at this point, it's probably not sufficient to make the right noises. We need to see evidence of delivery. Welcome to this Focus Radio podcast. I'm Kathy Mutlatlana. And for this episode, we're going to be reflecting on President Cyril Ramaphosa's economic recovery plan. We'll also be then throwing forward to the expectations for the medium-term budget policy statement. Help me welcome Annabel Bishop, who is the Investec Chief Economist. Uh, Chris Holdsworth is the Investec Wealth and Investment Chief Investment Strategist. And David Gracie is the Investec Head of Foreign Exchange and Fixed income. Thank you all for being part of this podcast today. Well, looking just briefly at the past week, a massive infrastructure drive, energy stability and jobs, jobs, jobs. Those were just uh, some of the key themes highlighted by the president as he delivered the country's economic reconstruction and recovery plan. Now, you've had the opportunity as our experts today of mulling over that plan for the last couple of days. And we'll be going through the detail to help us make sense of it all and whether or not we should be hopeful about this plan and what it promises to do for South Africa's ailing economy. We'll also take the conversation a step further by looking ahead at what's being described as the most crucial medium-term budget budget, uh, policy statement by Finance Minister Dito Mboweni. We'll reflect on the tight rope that the minister needs to walk and what some of the biggest challenges he'll face on how to allocate spending will be. So let me begin, Annabelle, with you with a broad question, and, and I know you'll have plenty to say about this, but just your general impressions of the president's economic recovery plan. Did it hit all the right notes for you? And what were the silver linings? Yes, thanks, Cathy. Look, for us, you know, when you're talking about hitting the right notes, it certainly um, has been a key concern in the past. There have been numerous plans and policies, and of course, they've achieved very little or certainly not achieved the aims and the goals, which they were obviously detailing. But certainly for this plan, we we feel quite optimistic. And this is certainly because not just the fact that the president is showing strong commitment to implementation, we believe it is achievable with the reforms and legislation the president is spearheading. If we look at the recent legislation on the RRP 19, 2019, for example, on the electricity front, you know, that really gives us a good sense there. They they seem to be working together um, from the perspective of national treasury and, of course, what the president's hoping to achieve through this plan. market rumors we've heard about the debt um, peak is now going to move to 100% of GDP from 87.4 previously from, you know, the um, special budget review we had early in the year. You know, people have been waiting very eagerly for the medium-term budget policy statement, which is now expected on the 28th of October, to really get a sense of what the peak is going to be. And I think that's perhaps, you know, Kathy, why we haven't had such a good market reaction to this plan, partly because, mm-hmm. as we said, of the disappointment of so many plans before and, you know, not much coming to fruition, but also, of course, as well, fearful that we may obviously see even more deterioration on the government finance front. And of course, as you know, a debt level of um, 100% of GDP 
it becomes quite unsustainable for an emerging market economy and that risks further credit rating downgrades, in turn obviously pushing up borrowing costs and of course that could see currency weakness. All right, Annabelle, there's so much to take out of what you've said there already and you you mentioned the issue of implementation which I'd like to uh, I'd like us to dwell on a, a little bit later in, in this podcast because it's key to giving credibility to any plan really that the state has at this point. Chris uh, Annabelle touched on the fact that the markets were also looking closely at this economic recovery plan. We know we haven't really been sending the greatest impression about whether or not we're serious about fiscal consolidation, about our spending by the state. Do you think that this plan has done anything to inspire confidence to international markets about where South Africa is, but most importantly, where it's going? Yeah, I think the plan was necessary to inspire confidence, but it's not sufficient. And just to, to hit on that point again that Annabel made, I mean, it, it's all one and good coming out with a plan. And South Africa is rife with good plans. The problem is implementation. And at this point, it's probably not sufficient to make the right noises. We need to see evidence of delivery. So the plan by itself is necessary. We, we, we have to have some form of plan. But I suspect that it's only once we start to see delivery of that plan on the assumption that we can fund it appropriately, that markets start to to fully gain faith. And, and that may take some time. David, let, let me bring you in here and talk about then the response uh, to of the markets, especially when it comes to the announcement of this plan. There was quite a bit of movement on the markets, but we know that very lit, uh, a lot of it had to do with what was happening internationally and not necessarily what the president was saying. Well, Kathy, this is this is part of the dilemma. You know, over in the US, they've got a much bigger problem than we have with regards to their fiscal framework. And, and arguably, were it not for the fact that they were the reserve currency of the world, uh, you know, we would see a much greater impact on the dollar. So it's very difficult in, in, in the sort of current environment to look at, at a nation in isolation, even a small economic uh, uh, country like, like South Africa, because we are vulnerable to both uh, external shocks uh, and also the massive amount of stimulus that we're seeing coming through globally from the likes of of, of uh, first world governments, uh, central banks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we've got an enormous amount of challenge uh, that we have to deal with going forward. And I think the the economic plan is is one step in the right direction. There's some positives for me. There's some negatives. I personally don't like it when government promises to create jobs uh, because I don't think that's government's jo- uh, task. Government is there to create the framework to allow the economy to develop and grow and in that way uh, allow the private sector to create jobs. But here we we are hell-bent on, on, on government doing that, that amount of heavy lifting. You know, as an example, I go back uh, 10 years or more when uh, the previous president promised 5 million jobs. Uh, and, and many of those jobs were sort of created in government, which uh, increased our government spending and is arguably part of the pro- part of the reason why we are in the fiscal mess that we are at the moment. You know, if you add up our interest bill and, and, and government spending on wages, it consumes a massive part of the fiscus. But on the positive side, things like independent power producing, et cetera, et cetera, those are certainly things that, that, that will help. I would like to see a much greater sort of reliance on on government, labor, and, and, and private sector business uh, working together. David, when it comes to 
international benchmarking and you're taking a look at South Africa in the context of really where other countries are, would it be better for us perhaps to compare how South Africa is uh, is faring alongside its emerging market partners? And an easy go-to would be perhaps looking at the BRICS countries. For a long time, for the last five years or more, uh, you know, South Africa, Mexico, certainly Brazil, maybe a little bit of Argentina, Turkey certainly have been grouped together in a, in a, in a sort of uh, basket of emerging market uh, uh, countries that offer both high yielding assets, but also certainly we are vulnerable to, to shocks. Um, as, as the various impacts of, of, of Corona on the various economies uh, has, has shown through in the in the individual economies, we've actually seen a, a de-link from 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 some of those absolute uh, baskets together. But it is worthwhile, um, uh, you know, looking at us in terms of of our emerging market peers. Um, but but you know, by any standard, right now, South Africa's fiscal framework doesn't look great at all, and will probably deteriorate, uh, and it's going to be very difficult to rectify. You know, if we move towards a hundred percent of 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 GDP debt ratio, uh, you know that that that's alarming. We're already at alarming uh, at alarming levels, um, and and the issuance, you know, certainly South African savings can't absorb the, the, the that issuance on its own, and you need foreign investment to help you uh, to 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 fund that deficit. Foreign investors don't have a lot of confidence in South Africa in isolation, except to say that we still offer very attractive, high-yielding assets. Annabelle, earlier you mentioned the issue of implementation and the extent to which it becomes such a stumbling block to any government policy, really. And we, we've seen it with previous uh, State of the Nation addresses that translate into your budget speeches, etc., when you look at the Cyril Ramaphosa presidency, perhaps not just taking last week in isolation, what do you think have been some of the key barriers to implementation? So why has the president not been able to get done what he has wanted to get done or even what he has promised to get done? Since 2018, there has not been as much achieved as was hoped for. And that's really, you know, both on the path of fiscal consolidation and, of course, as well on the implementation that you talk about. And, of course, as well, even, you know, the prosecutions that people were hoping for. Certainly, you know, one of the key points of this plan that we had last week, the Economic Recovery and Reconstruction Plan, or ERRP, is that there's a very keen understanding of the problems, issues, and current limitations, but also the solutions needed to overcome these. And of course, a very strong will to do that. And of course, they do talk quite deeply in the plan about the lack of capacity in the state. There obviously have been a lot of conversation also as well about the um, COVID 19 crisis showing up the lack of capacity of the state and of course as well the weaknesses in the infrastructure of the state really they have identified four very specific priority interventions which we haven't talked about yet you know these four key um Interventions, of course, are the massive rollout of infrastructure across South Africa, the rapid expansion of electricity generation, the drive for industrial growth, and of course, the employment stimulus. What's ne not necessarily mentioned here in the um, speech itself, but you know, in some of the supporting documentation, is how they are going to look at raising the capacity of the civil service. And here as well, what's quite key is shortening the lead time, both from a regulatory perspective, when we are obviously trying to implement a lot of the um, change that's required and of course also as well the um, inclusion of the private sector into a number of objectives as well and here you know we obviously are looking at the um, 
inclusion of the private sector into rail and of course you know the um, railway sector itself is, is very very key in other words areas which are seen very specifically in the past as being ring fenced for government only and I think that partly answers your question you know what has been the big failure in the past and that has been very much the exclusion of the private sector and the centralization of the state the very strong control of the state and the increasing control of the state over the economy and that you know is, is quite problematic because it's one of the reasons why we have such very high levels of red tape or a regulatory stranglehold. If you look at the mm. World Bank's ease of doing business, yes, they mention electricity, but if they particularly focus on the regulatory environment of South Africa, the huge complexity, the onerous burden, and the fact that it can take a very long lead time, even to get your very simple environmental clearance certificates or other factors that you need as a business to actually you know progress and one of these key worries is the fact that we have one of the longest times in the world to start a business so how do you, would we expect to see substantially stronger growth in employment if that actually is the case Chris, they, they could well be legitimate reasons for some of these hindrances that Annabelle has touched on. But does somebody sitting in the UK having to make a call about where to invest their money, uh, do they care that much about why it is we can't do what we say we'll do on paper? Yeah, I think they care a lot. I mean, for the last few years, electricity production has been about strength growth and that's had wide-ranging consequences for various parts of the listed market if you think of equities and, and companies that have been unable to expand as rapidly as they would have been able to before and for gdp in general so it's worsened our data gdp metrics and other sort of metrics which are very important to foreign investors and rating agencies so the root cause of the issues is important i think as well as addressing them and that's why it was so critical that emphasis was placed on electricity generation and it's very pleasing to see that the problem should be over in two years. But there again, it should. And we have to wait to see if that, in fact, is the case. And there are a number of other factors or another number of other plans that were mentioned as well, which could also be very helpful in spurring d domestic growth, which, of course, would attract investment from foreigners. If we think of the localization program, the time frame for mining licenses that would enable both investment hot money into the equity market and, of course, um, FDI into the mining space as well. So I think all of these things are being watched very closely, um, but with a degree of caution. Uh, Chris, while it might be exciting, of course, to think of the idea of, you know, not having electricity problems in two years time, we listen to what ESCOM has previously told us that it's going to be years yet before we're able to get uh, stable electricity. We'll, we'll have to find out exactly how the president uh, thinks it's going to be done in two years. So... The point that I'm raising here is the level of skepticism or cynicism with which the international markets also then receive uh, some of the news and promises. Yeah, and that skepticism is probably well-deserved and well-earned. I mean, it even comes from the rating agencies. If you think of when we were downgraded by Moody's, they said explicitly that part of the reason they did so is that they didn't believe that the budget expenditure would be in line with the guidance provided by Treasury. So in effect saying that they they were attaching a discount to those numbers. Um, so yeah, that skeptic is widely applied and it's up to the government now to, to re-earn faith. And the only way you can do that is through delivery. David, in an environment that the state is seen as centralizing some of um, the key roles that should be played by the private sector, what then becomes of the role of business? So how, how much room does that give business to operate? And how does business interpret what uh, the message that is being sent by the state? Kathy, I, I think I want to touch on something that, that, that Chris alluded to. 
you know, if, you look, if you look at South Africa as, as a sort of macro, the macro environment, there's two forms of capital investment that, that comes into the country at a very high level. The one is obviously uh, in fl hot flows, as Chris uh, alluded to, into our equity market and into our bond market. Uh, and that's all well and good. And, and those are massive volumes. But that money comes and goes at the, at the drop of a hat. Uh, but it doesn't create employment. It doesn't create business. It doesn't generate GDP growth. Uh, it just helps fund uh, government's requirements. What we need from a South African's perspective is GDP on a scale that, you know, rivals what's happening in, in, in some other emerging markets. Uh, of, of obviously, the behemoth being China, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent GDP. Uh, we need industrialization. We need factories opened. We need new businesses. We need, uh, um, you know, job creating uh, businesses that that are able to to um, alleviate many of our problems. Unemployment being one of them. We really need business to come to the party. The big question then is: is there is there an environment currently? Or has the government's economic plan created the environment to instill the confidence that business requires to bring capital in, to establish these factories, to, to buy for, to establish farms, mines, whatever it might be, tourism, the various sectors that you know we keep alluding to as requirements for building the economy. The jury's out. Uh, because international money, you know, it's got a choice. It can go wherever it wants to go, and it will go to the place where it's easiest to do business and where the returns are going to be be, be uh, the easiest to achieve. For in South Africa, for for more than a decade now, business has been seen, in my opinion, as a bit of an enemy of the people. Uh, but in fact, in you know, as I say, I think it's the requirement. It's the one thing that we require uh, to address many of our ills, both social and political. And, and, and obviously economic as well. David, how much of that perception of business being seen as somewhat of, of an enemy or as an evil, how much of that perception comes out of the messaging from the state and how much of that do you think has been created by business itself? I, I once it's 50 50 I, I, but, but perception becomes reality and I, I'll be willing to listen to counter arguments. Uh, that you know, government hasn't made it easy. Government has, has, has and, and labour hasn't made it easy. We continuously have new legislation, new red tape. We continuously are exposed to to political rhetoric uh, that is not business friendly, and 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 you know that creates the environment, the perception. South Africa is not the place to do business. Let's take our money elsewhere. And of course, we need to you know to protect the workers, and of course, we need to have legislation that that makes sure that things are done properly and fairly, and you don't have monopolies and you don't have uh, uh, all of the sort of nefarious stuff that business can get up to. But I I, I would argue that 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 uh, government shoulders much of that blame, and that that's my opinion. Annabelle, let me bring you in and let's then get forward into the medium-term uh, policy budget statement that's going to be delivered by Finance Minister Didon Boweni. Looking at what the president said last week, what do you think are some of the unavoidable themes that Mboweni is going to have to touch on? I think certainly if you want to tie it back to the president's speech last week, there was a very clear message in there and from another other um, places as well that the state really needs to cut back on expenditure. And what we've done in previous years is instead cut back on the growth rate in expenditure, not actually expenditure itself. And, you know, government again in identifying that we cannot cut back on the interest payments. Obviously, we need to do that by reducing debt. But, of course, you know, not being able to cut back on your 
social welfare transfer. So again, something which has to be in the budget, as you said. But of course, you know, looking at infrastructure and growth, that's a clear message they want to perform a switch now away from current expenditure. And of course, you know, that is particularly the civil servant salaries and wage and into growth enhancing reforms. And this is quite key, you know, but really, you know, what's unavoidable is that South Africa has an incredibly huge debt burden. We have massive deterioration in our government finances and therefore in our fiscal deficit. So we were told that we were going to see a zero based budget now in the MTBPS. We were told we were going to go back to reallocation. They were going to start from scratch and of course, obviously put in new um, expenditure and empty spreadsheet and cut the expenditure overall. That's what the market was hoping for. Of course, you know, some communication since then has caused some concern, like the 100% debt peaking. It's going to be an unavoidable situation that our government finances will still be heavily deteriorated, that we continue to expect further credit rating downgrades as a consequence to it, and that it's going to be quite hard to make a quick and sudden U-turn in expenditure. Annabelle, I, I just want to build on this issue with Chris, especially on the borrowing of, of the country. By all indications, we're not yet done uh, with yes. the amount of borrowing that we, we're trying to get. There's still more conversations happening with different agencies, how much more money South Africa can get. Does that mean that we're in effectively in, in a debt crisis, Chris? Look, I think there's different ways to define a debt crisis. I don't think there's a formal definition. I mean, you would say a country like Argentina is in a, in a debt crisis, and I don't think we're there. I and mean, we're in a position where our yields are very high, and we have some understanding for why they're high. They're abnormally high if you compare it to a number of peers, both emerging market and developed market. The slope of our yield curve is very high as well. I mean, if you compare it, our 10-year bond yield relative to cash, that gap is very high. So there's an implicit risk premium that's demanded for investing in South African government debt. Would I categorize that as a crisis? No, not yet. Could we land up in a crisis at some point? Yes. Um, but our view, our house Street in wealth investment is that we, we do land up earning a premium, a risk premium for that debt. And as a result, we actually quite like bonds at this point, but that is a house, that is a wealth and investment view on the debt trajectory. It's not necessarily what's definitely going to happen. David, what are the indicators that we need to be looking at coming out of um, that medium term budget policy statement that will give signals around how uh, we intend on curbing as much of uh, South Africa's spending as possible? Yeah, Kathy. I, I think uh, a reallocation of spending uh, to the to to areas that are going to generate the, the fastest sort of GDP growth that that's very important. I wouldn't like to see the finance minister. And by the way, I wouldn't want his job at all. And no wonder he spends so much time cooking uh, because he's got to clear his mind and and figure out how he's going to balance this, the, the the books. But I, I certainly wouldn't like him to come out and say, "Look, we're going to cut twenty five percent expenditure across the board." Uh, because there are certain areas that require a massive, massive uh, spending boost. For example, you know, the, 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 the skills drain at SARS, that needs replenishing. The MPA, uh, you know, that's a very important piece of this puzzle, uh, and, and they definitely need uh, further funding. Uh, it's those areas of, of the budget that consume large amounts of money without any without any um, uh, investment return, essentially. And I think that's that's probably what the market's looking for to see how the the reallocation of spending comes through. Because we we you know we're certainly not going to borrow our way into prosperity here. Uh, we need GDP growth, and and you know GDP growth of two or three percent 
and and we're struggling to get there even uh, and 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 spending needs to go into those areas that are going to generate the fastest sort of growth with the maximum returns for for uh, as a, as a, a, for revenue um, and to start bringing the 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 absolute levels of debt down uh with you know as a consequence of gdp growth and i think that's what the market is looking for whether the finance minister can do that in this medium term budget framework uh it's i think it's going to be very very difficult we focused quite a bit on on industry and you know one of the things that covid-19 has done of course is also exacerbate what was already high inequality levels in south africa between effectively the haves and and the have nots we've seen uh, you know, around 2 million people were told losing their jobs during this period. Social spending then becomes another key focus for government. And yet we're talking about the reprioritization of, of funds and where exactly uh, money must come from and where it must go to. Annabelle, um, you know, it's one thing to, to, to try and keep things going and uh, provide some kind of stimulus to the economy. But we we cannot, of course, avoid the issue of the kind of support that the state needs to be giving to, to ordinary South Africans right now. They can't come back on the social welfare support. It's not one of the you know, key spending areas where we have room to do so. The reality instead is that South Africa has actually been one of the largest um, stimulus packages for its peer group. Well, you've seen the stimulation coming through from an expenditure perspective in the lower in income end. And, you know, that has actually been quite an interesting outcome of this COVID-19 crisis. And, of course, the upper income end obviously being more shielded from having savings. It's really your middle income earners who've obviously felt the real brunt of the pain of these state-induced lockdowns. And, of course, resulting in that very severe recession we had in the second quarter of this year. You know, that very harsh lockdown has just resulted in perhaps the stimulus package having less impetus than it actually would have if we hadn't seen such a severe cutback in economic activity. So, you know, really it's, it's, it's unfortunately focused just on the short term and, and you know that the, the fiscal and stimulatory measures for those who've lost their jobs it's it's vital but we need to also focus longer terms uh, Chris the the intersection of, of politics and economics is almost unavoidable here just uh, and listening to some of the things that that Annabelle is talking about you know all countries are, are bound by political considerations in, in some way or another I mean, it is the case I mean, it's politicians that, that run governments pretty much everywhere um, so we, we need to separate whether our decisions are particularly poor relative to what we see in other countries or whether we're sort of just mulling along and, and doing the same sort of thing. And I think one can make an argument that in a few cases we have made particularly poor decisions. But at the same time, we do need to not paint all of government with, with the same brush. Um, we, we must recognize that on one hand we, we have been – fiscally irresponsible in certain sectors, but on the other, we do have a very well-respected central bank where there appears to be absolutely no political interference whatsoever uh, and who fiercely guard their independence, uh, and that is a plus. Um, so when looking at the, the whole picture, I think it's necessary to look at the whole picture, and we need to balance out those two things. And yeah, in aggregate, the, the cuts that we've seen from the Reserve Bank have been hugely significant. And, and while in certain instances there will be consumers who have lost their jobs and have lost incomes, the, the support that we've seen from the central bank has implied that 
coming out of this crisis, there are going to be a number of consumers who are going to be in a better fiscal position than they were going in. And South Africans being South Africans, no doubt will start to spend at some point. David, any plan, as, as we've previously discussed, needs money in order to fulfill it, right? And the biggest problems that we're facing is a revenue shortfall. Is there more that can be done to raise uh, some of these, these monies that are needed? I think, Kathy, you know, the, the, the stuff that we've been talking about for this entire podcast is, 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 is the way to, to uh, become some of these challenges and these hurdles. You know, our problems didn't start with Corona. Uh, this is not, you know, our crises, our fiscal crisis here is not something that's six months old. It's been building for, for the better part of a decade, arguably even more. Um, we, 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 we did have at one stage in South Africa, and, and you know, I, I know that there were other challenges that, 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 that came with that administration, but we had a highly respected, uh, uh government financial economic framework. Uh, you know, we had GDP growth at some points of five and six percent debt ratios, you know, 22 percent of GDP and coming down. Uh, you know, employment was being created, perhaps not fast enough for, 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 for some of the, the uh, detractors. Um, and for me, you know, the short answer to your question is policy. Where we've fallen down is that government has tried to take hold or control everything in society. Uh, and you, then you land up in the kind of even discounting corruption and theft uh, on, on the levels that we've seen. You kind of land up in this, in, in, in the, in this policy mix that, we, that we've got in South Africa, confused policy mix where government is trying to do everything. Uh, and it's really, really not necessary because our own experience and international experience tells us that if you just create the policy framework that gives business the confidence to operate, uh, you know, you'll see the kind of investment that is required and you will get that, get the economic growth. As a consequence, you get more jobs. As a consequence of that, you get a higher tax base, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've had 10 or more wasted years. Uh, and, and, you know, we've got an ESCOM that can't generate the, the, the electricity that we require from an industrial perspective. But there are segments of the economy where you can make up some of that backlog, tourism or, you know, we've heard all of this stuff before. But it's all about policy for me. Um, and it's taking far too long to move to that perspective of a clear, coherent policy mix that is going to help us to overcome our problems. All right. So we're nearing the end of our conversation today. And I suppose in this moment, um, many South Africans are looking for a sense of hope about what the future will be. And I'm keen to hear from, from all of you if maybe there, there are two things that, that you think we should be hopeful about when it comes to the state of our economy. Are there opportunities that this moment presents that we can take advantage of? Because unfortunately, regardless of what you're looking at right now, it's very hard to to, to find good news, if, if if I can put it that way. David, I'll begin with you. Maybe you shouldn't have begun with me, Kathy. I'm a little bit of a cynic. Look, I, I, I think there's certainly there's certainly some 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 reason uh, for hope. The way that the government has handled the land question, which is a very important political question in South Africa, how that gets handled. Uh, I, I I think you know the, the the way that they're going about it currently. Uh, it, it, it is a positive and, and alleviates some of my earlier concerns from 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 well, when I was, you know a couple of years ago I had some concerns how that was going to be dealt. I think independent power producers is a, is a critical piece of the puzzle. Uh, without question, solar is now the cheapest energy 
producing uh, globally, I'm talking about, and South Africa, as we're experiencing right now, has got an abundance of, of, of solar energy at its disposal. Uh, and if we move quickly on that, you can also bring it to market fairly quickly. It does it, it does need investment, but, you know, there are private investors that are, that are willing to, to, to go that route. Uh, so those are two things that I, I, I think create a little bit of hope, but but I wouldn't want, you know, we're not going to be out of the woods for a long time to come, certainly not in South Africa. And globally as well, there's there's many, many concerns, you know, uh, and, and we remain vulnerable to both domestic and, and external shocks. All right. Annabelle? Look, certainly I think that um, perhaps we ignore some of the positive things that are going on in the economy. One of the key um, positives that are going on in South Africa is there's a lot of um, new developments taking place in the business environment, a lot of um, new business starting up with the opportunities that COVID-19 has offered. We still are seeing a strong business spirit in South Africa. And, you know, the, the, the reality is that we have seen some pickup in spend. We're certainly seeing green shoots coming through on this economy. We're seeing a recovery from the depth of the recession that we had in the second quarter. I think that's one positive, you know, that, that we are in fact seeing even a quicker recovery than perhaps was anticipated. And the other positive, you know, that I'd mentioned is very much, you know, that the great improvement we've seen in the politics in South Africa and uh, Soram opposed the greater support he's had from a political perspective. You know, we really are obviously experiencing the um risks that we know we thought we would have in his presidency, you know, the undermining from some political parties and factions. But there's also been a greater recognition as well. Now, I'm seeing this coming through quite strongly from both from, you know, capping the political interference from the reforms that need to be made. The fact that he's actually forging ahead with so many of these reforms, you know, that just includes the ability to really get spectrum going as well, as opposed to perhaps, you know, uh, was previously um, impeded by special interests and, you know, the desire for greater corruption and looting, you know, the strong focus on eradicating that. So for me, that's that's quite a strong um, second positive as well. If anything, it's a bit late because we're all hoping for it in 2018. But nevertheless, the fact that it's underway and getting going for me is is really the second one. Yeah, I think that if I were to point, point, point two, that the first is the external environment. What's happening in the rest of the world? If you look at China, their GDP numbers have come out. They're up about 5% year on year. Industrial production's up nearly 7% year on year. The imports are at a record high. The imports for iron ore and for copper are at a record high. They're consuming the sort of stuff that we export, and that's very helpful for us as an economy. So that's the first thing. The second is I think there is broad underappreciation of the resilience of the SA economy. We were able to monitor aggregate data, the amount of time people spend in retailers in transit and at the workplace. And you can convert that into a GDP number based on what we've seen in Q2. And if we were to do that now, it tells us that the South African economy is currently on Q3 was running at about minus 10% year on year. The consensus estimate is below that at about minus 13%. So it's not good. It's not that we're up significantly, but we're not down as badly as the consensus number seems to think. And if you look at the fact that our electricity demand is not far off where it was this time last year, and there are certain subsectors of the SA economy that are doing quite well, it does point to a picture where things are recovering for one, but for two are probably running at a higher rate than is widely expected. Well, I guess we're going to have to wait and see uh, if the minister is going to be arriving with his little aloe plant to parliament this time around. If, and if, in fact, it has been as resilient as uh, we're hoping the South African economy is going to be during these trying times. Let me uh, thank my guests for today for being part of uh, this podcast. It's been really great hearing uh, your insights. We'll leave it there for today. And remember, if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can take the time out 
and rate us, please subscribe to the Investec Focus Radio wherever you download your podcast fix. From me, Kathy Mutlachana, it's a wrap for now. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.